Welcome to Clearing the Haze, Making the Invisible Visible, a podcast show that discusses topics that are usually invisible or just hazy. I'm your host, Shachi Irte. Please note, this podcast was recorded during the lockdown in the country with limited resources. We thank you for your support and understanding. In this episode, we will focus on women in academia. You know, there are numerous advantages of having women professors. They are credited with increasing class participation, providing diverse perspectives, and being role models for female students. To discuss, we have with us today two eminent academicians, Dr. Emanuela Mandalaki from Nima Business School and Manisha Chachra from Jawaharlal Nehru University. They will share with us their experience, their career challenges, successes, and opportunities for women to pursue career in academia, thus raising the bar for everyone. Thank you for joining us. I would also like to welcome Segolene Buller, a Cultural and Communication Coordinator for Alliance Francis Opal, who will engage with our speakers along with me in this conversation. Thank you, Sachi, for this uh, introduction. I'm very glad to be here also with you and to have our guest to discuss this quite tough thematic. And I'd like to start by uh, raising a first question. Emanuela Manisha. What made you take up a career in academia? Did you always want to be in academia? And what do you enjoy the most as a, as a woman in academia? So to answer your question, Segolene, what brought me to academia? So academia has been a choice which for me was driven after a certain travel in my life, I would say. So after I gained some experiences through uh, my work in both lucrative and non-lucrative environments, including a social service and volunteering work, uh, what always amazed me was was communicating with people and living with communities of people. After um, gathering some of these experiences and thinking through what I would really like to do with my life in it for putting my competencies into the best use that I could put them to be able to offer uh, meaningful contributions to this society, I thought of coming back to academia and pursuing research on social topics with a particular focus on inclusion, inequalities and gender, trying to understand how individuals relate with each other and which are the ethical aspects of this relating. Then, yeah, I mean, academia was really a choice which was driven by a certain journey, I would say, that I in life and, and I feel very happy today with the kind of work that I'm doing. Manisha, I would like to understand your journey. Yeah, so just like she has shared that her journey of academia is linked to what was going on in her life and how she could link with gender realities and inequalities that were persistent in the background of her life. I think my decision was also driven by the political background that, that India has been having for quite some time now. And I just realized sitting at my office desk, like all of a sudden that, you know, this is not meant for me. This job is definitely not, not the place where I should be. And I should rather be writing and contributing towards what is happening and because how I was thinking and connecting to it. And your second question on as a woman being in academia, I think it's quite a layered question and quite a layered discussion for us to have. Because considering that I am in JNU and as, as a woman scholar, I may not have experienced so much of gender discrimination. But then when it comes to me being a woman scholar from a third world country, there's, there's a lot of discussion that needs to take place. I'm going to move to a research that I recently read. You know, it says over 45% of all academic staff are women. 75% professors are men. 
women make up only 22% of the professorships. Would you agree the reasons for being discrimination, being overlooked for promotion, and being unable to get their papers published? How do you compare yourself as an academic to your male colleagues? Yeah, so I think the first thing that comes to my mind is that patriarchy is everywhere. And the only thing is we don't expect academia to be patriarchal considering its advocacy for justice and equality all of this time. Mm -hmm. uh, in our books, in our texts and by our professors, by our seniors, every time, everywhere. However, I have had experiences where professors have addressed me in a manner that was neither just nor fair. And those instances not only reeked of purity complex, but also of male privilege. But now, uh, also talking about publishing industry, I have had experiences where I felt that I was being discriminated on account of being a South Asian scholar, submitting a piece in a white first world journal so as someone who has taught at Delhi University, I remember being a victim of sexist remarks quite frequently. And such remarks were not only gender discriminatory, they were also, you know, workplace inappropriate behavior, like you're looking beautiful today, you're dressed up in a certain way, and ma'am, you, uh, uh, you look really good when you open your hair or something like that. I mean, which was completely uncomfortable and uninvited and you cannot say anything when such things happen to you because personally speaking such practices of power and privilege are a part of classroom as well where male students often do not realize that the professional relationship they have with their teacher is actually what is counted as the way they, they may be looking at their teacher they may, may they may be accessing their teacher or approaching them could be a part of what what you can call as harassment but and in those cases it has been an act of careful balancing where you cannot say a lot you cannot you have to be very careful about speaking certain things and so whenever there's this professor commenting certain things i usually will say thank you and just let that situation go and you know laugh it off or something like that because you are uh, i think as a woman we are looking at the larger picture of making our careers in academia rather than, you know, protesting too much about, you know, or making a big deal out of a small sexist remark that is being passed. And sadly, that is what we do. So, you know, what I hear you say is that it's not just discrimination from one sector of people, which is male, but it is more all-encompassing. You have to look at where you're from, which country you're representing, uh, where you want to get it published, and hence the layers of discrimination that can pop up. Emmanuel, I would like to hear your experience on the discrimination and the opportunity to publish work and everything else. I think there is definitely a gender-based discrimination in most organizational environments, among which academia uh, is also one. So I would say, yeah, academia overall, we can say, is is, is a, a under-centric context where women colleagues might uh, very oftentimes receive certain types of discrimination. And I agree with Sashi that in that way we can think more in intersectional, in more intersectional terms, that it's not only about being a woman, but also so many other identifiers of difference that, that might affect the kind of comments that we receive or not. This doesn't mean that male colleagues don't receive discrimination because exactly this has to do with intersectional dynamics which might relate to someone's race, background, age, tenure, power status, hierarchy or whatever else that might be. 
I think that as one advances in their career stages and with the kind of intellectual baggage that we're creating and the publications that we're, that we're putting out there, maybe our voice is starting being more heard. So that might be, I mean, um, engaging into collaborations through which we think we can flourish and, and engaging into creating communities within which we can care for and with each other, I think is a very important step towards developing a voice and being able to defend our own practices and, and the knowledge that we intend to create. Also making a claim that all bodies have a certain, a certain amount of knowledge to transfer and that we should be open to the differences that we all uh, have and we all share. We're all very similar and very different as well. And I think uh, understanding the importance of engaging with an openness that welcomes a plurality of perspectives into the knowledge we create is a very important step towards actually embracing this diversity and answering to any kind of trivializing or discriminatory attacks that we might all be subjected to. In my own experience, of course, I mean, from my PhD journey towards today, where I would say I'm still in my early career steps, uh, I have, of course, gone through various phases and stages where I've been subjected to different types of discrimination. And what I, what I feel right now is that this process through which I try to develop collaborations to create community and to understand the benefits of that community, having a voice, developing a voice through the methodologies and literatures that we're engaging with, but at the same time meeting this kind of people uh, with whom we feel we can develop that kind of knowledge that can embrace otherness and difference in the society. Yes, Emanuela, I fully agree with you. Developing your voice, engaging with the community and understanding how and what kind of progress we need to make to address these discriminatory remarks or dif discriminatory experiences makes a lot of difference. Thanks to both of you. Uh, I, I guess that this intersectional hint is very important because as you mentioned, I think like the kind of remark one can receive will depend on lots of factors and lots of layers. And that's why now maybe I'd like to know a bit more about your personal experience. Like Manisha, you mentioned some comments that you received, Emanuela as well, but maybe a, a bit more precise, like what difficulties and challenges have you encountered as you progress through your career? So if I can start answering this question, which is, of course, it's a very multifaceted question, and I guess there are so many things to be discussed. I mean, I guess one of the most important challenges that I had to face was at some point, even during my PhD, where I had to somehow make a choice. I mean, what kind of work I want to engage with and what are the risks of engaging with that work? Because we all know that academia is, is a... It's, I mean, it's, it's a quite competitive field, so sometimes also the kind of methods that we use and the work that we do are important choices for uh, the extent to which we can be um we can grow within mm -hmm. our field. So, I mean, for me, one of the most important risks I would have to, I have to say that I took is that uh, I actually uh, took a leap of faith and tried to try to engage with this kind of methodologies and literatures, which I felt were, after all, in line with my own values as a person, which is not different than just engaging with the kind of research uh, that embraces 
that mm -hmm. embraces difference and otherness. And so I know, I mean, sometimes this was not uh, met very openly by other colleagues, even more established colleagues, because of course, I mean, maybe this doesn't represent the mainstream of management studies and organization studies. And of course, the opportunities for publishing are not that many when we engage with niche research. However, uh, judging from my own experience, I think it is important to take these, uh, these risks, it is important to take these leaps of faith if we want to engage with this kind of research that can ultimately, hopefully, also make a meaningful contribution to the world. Because after all, we're, we, we spend so much time doing this word, work. Uh, I think we should enjoy what we do. We should do things which are in line with our own values and things which are concretely intending to address important social issues that we're facing, like gender inequality, vulnerabilities in a social level. Uh, we see what's going on in so, many, in so many different places of the world with the refugee crisis, political um, upheaval. And so I think it's important to be able to do this kind of research. So yeah, for me, this was one of the main challenges, but today I feel, I feel it's, it's worth the effort. Overall, if I have to talk about challenges, I think hierarchies or power politics, as she said, that one has to engage with them. And those are, I, I feel that when it comes to the political climate in India, you encountering a right wing person or you encountering a kind of thought system or a value system you do not agree with, you want to revolt against. And you see that those uh, systems are very regressive in their essence. I think turn them into your research subjects and that's the advice I give to everyone like turn them just like she said that methodologies are very important so I'm saying that you know turn all those people into your research subjects be the extended relatives who keep commenting you that you know what are you doing till now like why are you not getting married at the age of 30 why are you pursuing PhD what's the point of doing PhD I mean they they just look at me like a jobless person who has nothing to do job you know like whenever they come to my house and they are like oh you are you still studying every festival they are like are you still studying until when are you going to continue and that's like the biggest investigative matter for them so i guess they, they all are all those forms of power systems are my research subjects are the you know methodologies are the points that we need to engage as academics i love that you said so that much. they are all your subjects <laughs> you know of research yeah. it is actually in a way you've converted your adversity into your advantage so much agree with that point of Manish and maybe one, one other thing to stress here would be that uh, I mean the challenges that we go through maybe are not only inside academia but also outside of academia with all the lives that we have to take care of at the same time. Yes. I mean we all engage with a PhD at a moment that we have so many other things to take care of. So family responsibilities, dependent ones and how we're able to do that in that context. I guess it's also something to be recognized. Absolutely. You know that last point you made dovetails into my next question very conveniently about making choice between caregiving responsibility and your academic career how do you think the culture in academia responds to your need to balance work and life so uh, i'll just share this experience when i was in my master's doing political studies my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and that was a third stage breast cancer and it was a horrible scary time for me and my family uh, I couldn't write my research papers on time and obviously I couldn't appear in classes that time. Uh, there were professors who were understanding and there was a lot of care labor that 
that directly came to me because I am the elder most sibling and I had to perform a lot of errands right from going to hospitals to making food to feeding my uh, you know other three members of my family taking care of my pet so many other things that I, and I actually realized how how at all my mom can do so much and it's all very interwoven with how we look at gender and care work responsibilities but the way my professors uh, you know i i just remember that one of them commented when i told him that i cannot submit my term paper in time my mother has been diagnosed with breast cancer he commented that you know like what is with your class everybody is coming with excuses like these i mean it's like i wouldn't use an excuse like this of course and at that time i was uh, really shocked because that's what i was saying that whatever academia keeps advocating for this equality justice fairness and liberty and all those chapters that we read in books make no sense in moments like these when you are you encounter such professors who have no idea what they are talking about and rather than understanding my situation that was uh, the comment that was made in my circle among my peers i've seen that a lot of times uh, maternity leave, leaves are not granted the the choice between having a baby or having a family and writing your phd is such a tricky one and a lot of times i have seen professors saying that did you actually think this was the right time to get pregnant or have a baby or choose to start a family and those are not the you know i i don't know how personal becomes private private becomes personal how you know these professional questions turn so personal for for our professors i i don't understand and w- what are these boundaries and why are we not talking about those boundaries in academia emmanuela what is your uh, yeah i totally agree that as in most organizations academia as well is a very demanding context where uh, especially when we're pursuing phd's or tenure ten- tenure track positions we're supposed to to be delivering on so many different aspects which is teaching research but uh, institutional service as well and so i guess for one person that becomes a bit too much sometimes to be able to deliver i just want to pick up on what you just mentioned emanuela with the pandemic and this uh, huge difficulty in between having the private and professional life to combine everything when has when one has to take care of the kids and there was actually so this study showing that there were way less publication of women scholars since the coronavirus started and i think this shows how big the gender gap is and actually then i i just want to continue because uh, i think that also maybe in the way women are then uh, approach, approaching research like in the way they are dealing with the thematic and in the way maybe they are presenting themselves D- do you have any anecdotes or how could you define the the difference maybe in the approach versus like the male colleagues I think it has been uh, indeed I mean there are statistics showing that the submissions of women academics have fallen quite significantly since the pandemic broke out however here I would also like to mention that at the same time the pandemic also created kind of opportunity if I can if I can use that word of course for some spaces uh, to be created for instance i can think of the journal gender work and organization right now which uh, created this feminist frontier section which when the pandemic broke out welcomed so many out of graphic accounts mainly of women academics that were sharing their struggles and how they were going through family work responsibilities and so many other uh, embodied experiences that they were going through during the pandemic so uh, i think that we need more of these spaces 
And of course, I think that with all the requirements that we have to deal with when it comes to publishing in academia, this becomes very difficult for people with caring responsibilities. And again, of course, the way that women are constructed in the society, that mainly they are the main family family caregivers that creates much more burden on their soldiers when the pandemic breaks out. But at the same time, I wouldn't like that to, to reinforce the binary between men and women, because there are also so many women that don't even, or, or females that don't even identify with the man-women binary. So we should also consider the experiences of these people if we want to to be inclusive enough, that there might be also so many other reasons why a person under a pandemic uh, context is not able to deliver to the extent that they should. And that might be mental problem. That might just be that there is a whole pandemic going on and mm. we're all so much stressed with our health and with so many things. But also, also, I mean, it's something very new to all of us. So, I mean, of course, we're affected by our context as social beings and maybe we're not able to deliver as we're expected to. So maybe that brings us to realize that what we might have to change is the way that we ask our questions. If I can hear also, um, if I can also hear recite one of my colleagues, Pereira, who wrote a very interesting article on these topics, actually, how, how maybe the pandemic is also a way for us to reframe the way that we ask our questions around productivity mm -hmm. and around what we're expected to deliver in academia and for what reasons. So maybe it's not only women with small kids that cannot be able, are not able to do so, but maybe many other people that are not able to do so, colleagues that are not able to do so as well. Manisha, your thoughts, please. So what I think, like she said, that the idea of inclusivity is linked with how we look at the idea of approachability. I feel that the question of approachability is linked with accessibility as women, how we access our fields, how friendly are our fields. I mean, for, for a male researcher, the field is always, even if it involves an amount of risk, I think for male researchers, it's possible to to take those kind of risks. And then the kind of care responsibilities that are there, how well can we navigate all of that considering it's a pandemic with different kind of research studies uh, surfacing in this period where we can see that domestic violence has increased, especially in this pandemic-stricken world. And uh, so many other things are happening. I think increasing joblessness and so many other things would be there considering we are living in a male-dominant society. Those would be affecting women more than ever. So in that sense, I think uh, the questions that need to need to be raised, and this is a crucial moment for academia, I feel. Pandemic is a crucial moment for us to pause and think and reflect on. Just like she said that, you know, we need to be sure of the research questions that we are raising and maybe take mm -hmm. a step back and think of the questions that how are we framing those questions? What are these backgrounds that are affecting us? us what are these contextual nuances that continue to percolate our research questions and they 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 were probably those nuances probably went ignored all this mm. while when the times were normal so in the abnormal times let's let's just look at how inaccessible those fields were not just to women but but let's just look at the world in a genderless sense <laughs> so that uh, we can we can talk about the issues that even men research, like male researchers face we can talk about the issues that queer researchers fail, face and we can hear Excellent. from not not i mean women women should not be the speakers for for the ones who for, i mean we shouldn't be the agents for them so let them exactly. come out and claim their narrative i feel 
Exactly. I totally agree with that. Yeah, that maybe we should consider so many other individuals that might not identify with the women, uh, men binary. And also at the same time, always ask ourselves the question, which women are we talking about? Because, I mean, there are so many women thriving in academia and in other organizational contexts. So I guess the context in which we grow from girls to, to adulthood and then professional lives, but also the, the context in which we are employed can or cannot provide so many opportunities for us to thrive. And so I guess not all women are given the same opportunities to be able to grow. And that might be something to consider as well uh, if we want to avoid generalizations that might not actually be relevant. Very true. Thank you, Emanuela, for this answer to this uh, quite tough question. <laughs> And actually now I would like to move on like about like the subject of harassment because now we have been talking about gaps in between the loan but I guess that like there is also different way of experience, uh, experiencing daily life in academia and I think Manisha mentioned uh, at the beginning of our conversation some comments that she had to face and now I would like me, you to share about your personal experience or maybe experience of your relative like not based on, on any study or general idea did you have to face any harassment or could you think of any colleagues or friends that have been like uh, harassed in the uh, in the workplace is, is that a reality in uh, academia Yes, I think, of course, this is a reality in academia. We, we can think of so many different instances in which uh, our work can be harassed or even in research seminars, sometimes you might be presenting something and people might not even understand what you're presenting just because the words that we you use or the kind of literature that you're engaging with or the kind of methodology that you're engaging with is not is not mainstream, if I can if I can put it that way. For instance, in my personal case, I engage a lot with ethnographic methodologies and and experiential work. So, I mean, much of my work is inspired, for instance, by my dance practice. And so uh, I, t I talk a lot about issues of embodiment and vulnerabilities, which I try to combine with feminist theorizing uh, with the purpose of developing a theory which can, can propose inclusive practices for, uh, for organizations and the society. And so, yes, indeed, I mean, it has happened many times for some of the work that I present in seminars that, 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 that some colleagues might not understand or they might even respond with trivializing comments of the kind this work cannot be easily published or um, are there outlets for this kind of work and and again i think i mean i think if we think if, if we just realize that we are in academia because we want to to help enable different kinds of knowledge and other knowledge then my response to this kind of comments is always to to just advocate for the importance of engaging with the plurality of approaches that we're all so different we all have so different experiences and i think it's important to put part of who we are in the work that we do that also comes back to the political point that Manisha mentioned uh, before. Uh, I think it's important to, to, to join our, our forces and our knowledge and intellectual competencies for good to be able to, to make significant contributions. And in that sense, that, that's also part of being open to different kinds of knowledge whenever we receive this kind of trivializing comments. So mm -hmm. I think, uh, but yeah, I would definitely say that this, this has been my experience as well. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Manisha? In my uh, experience, what I've seen is like, we generally assume that women, are, you know, we talk about feminist friendships all the time. We talk about feminist solidarities and all of that. But what I have seen around me and 
uh, you know not not just some specific instance it's, it looks like a more universal thing it look and an argument where you know women are generally we think that women are going to support each other but they do not so let's just talk about that i mean they they do not you know we cannot just say that it is given that women are going to support each other and they are going to be your allies so in a system you are placed in a system as a scholar as a phd scholar maybe or as as an assistant professor who has just joined where you know you are being harassed but your women colleagues are not supporting you and they also want to you know probably tramp you because because of the whole power system of promotion and other politics that goes on so how are we you know how are we questioning all of that uh, are our processes justice systems uh, that should be there in the organization internal committee system internal complaint system is it that strong that you know women can come forward are we creating that environment that women can come forward and complain are we creating that kind of atmosphere where women are encouraged to do so we are not so all the time i think as women scholars we are continuously scared and that's why that is the reason why i never sort of spoke up uh, when i was i was a target of those remarks or or i was a target of classroom harassment i mean because i am at a guest position if i speak up i guest position is nothing it's it's a it's a contractual job where if i i put my career in a precarious position so i don't think that we anyway have those procedural systems which are sufficient enough or sufficient is a different question do we first have those processes in place or not is a is a bigger question to ask in academia and that is like totally absent i was just going to ask at that time would it make a difference if you saw more women in power because invariably the uh, the entire challenge of the sexual harassment at least comes from the power inequation but chaji that is the thing i mean in my department or i am sure emmanuel is going to say the same thing i mean women our are in power at least in teaching jobs that we are talking about or at least in research positions that we are talking about because in india if you know like teaching job is considered to be the most uh, you know a job that can help you balance the fam- family responsibilities that can help you balance your care responsibilities generally in india they say that you know take up a school teaching job or a teaching or a teaching job in college because at least you'll get free by free and you can come back home and take care of your husband and kids so i mean that's the kind of argument you're given so generally it's, it is the women who are in power if what if we are seeing and and those questions are, that's why i have to you know question this the very fact that the power system that we are talking about we have to also remember that women are internalized subjects of patriarchy you cannot unlearn it in one day and all of them are a part of the same system and i this is uh, you know to say that women are not allies of each other is not to say that you are a subject of patriarchy you should smash it but it is to bring the larger argument into the picture that we are a subject of same power system that we may mm-hmm. not be able to smash ever but the idea is to navigate through and how do we do that even if we get support of one woman you know who can help mm-hmm. us who is a victim of that kind of behavior and that one woman or that one peer support can help one women or men i mean whosoever it is looking at again a very genderless reality here and and i think maybe one other important aspect to mention here is that we shouldn't also underestimate the power that we all hold in our different positions we might not be leading a team or an organization or a university but we all hold some power and now being aware so i think being aware of the power that we hold and using that power for good can already make a very significant impact to the people that we teach but also to the kind of knowledge that we create 
And of course, the more we are, the merrier. And I mean, the more open we are to be able to share these experiences, the better I think it might be to be able to grow even more in power. So maybe gaining power is also something that we can take the agency to develop even more instead of just waiting for others to give it to us, right? So I think we also have a very active responsibility and engagement in the way that we want to, 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 to contribute to the different contexts where we operate. Absolutely, truly said. All of us have a circle of influence and our power within that circle of influence itself can be utilized to make that ripple effect, which will create more and more important change that we want to see uh, in the societies and the communities we live in. Now, I think like actually like this point made on the care on how to use the, the power and not make it a men and women problem, but making like a social problem, make it way bigger and go beyond that. It actually like, so now it, it relates actually to what I wanted to ask about this um, Matilda effect, just for people that might not know the Matilda effect is a, a bias against acknowledging the achievement of uh, women scientists whose work is attributed to their male colleagues. And this effect was described by the suffragist and abolitionist Matilda, Jocelyn Gage, so from that comes uh, the name of this um, concept. She, she described the, the Matilda effect and that was coined in 1993 by science historian Margaret W. Rositcher. What steps are being taken maybe at your workplace to ensure women get their due credits? Or do you think at least that you are getting your due credits? Uh, so if I can talk of my context, actually I can say that I'm very positively surprised to see that in the school where I work, many women are actually leading research teams, but also the whole school is actually led by, by a dean who is uh, a woman. So that's, that's great news. I mean, I ha we have so many women in, lead in leading positions. And I mean, uh, also myself, I was recently asked to coordinate a research area on inclusion, diversity and quality. So, I mean, I would say that steps are taken for women to be more included and recognized for their intellectual contributions. And I think, of course, more steps have to be taken. As Manisha said before, I think it's also important to create these spaces where we can encourage people to speak up, to be able to share experiences whenever they feel that they're also discriminated against. And also another way in which I think we can recognize even more and include even more women for their contributions is what I mentioned before by the kind of work that we engage with in our academic research. I mean, the kind of authors that we are reading, the kind of authors that we are citing. So I think it's a whole area of things that we can that we can engage with if we want to meaningfully tackle this kind of discrimination against women. But yes, certainly I'm very happy to see that steps are taken for women to be more included in academic contexts. I mean, if I, if I can speak of my context, but also hopefully in internationally. Okay, that's great. I'm very glad to hear that because then I was a bit worried about the answer that might come because sometimes we are like, okay. And what about you, Manisha? Oh. So there's this group that I am a part of on Facebook, which is called Women in Academy and it has women academics all over the world. And I hear them sharing anecdotes and narratives all the time of their supervisors or their male colleagues, you know, taking credit for their work or most of the times their women supervisors also do all of that. So I think the way we have to understand this is that there's this whole power system where the idea of co-authorship is also not of equality. I mean, if your supervisor is writing with you, naturally their names will come first, even though it could be a possibility that you are the one 
who is undertaking all the research and who is doing all the hard work so i have come across a lot of narratives of women sharing such stories of themselves and it is very scary to read all of that because you were a part of same power system which can probably treat you in the same way and what gives you a more privilege sometimes could be a matter of luck but you know like the moment that situation changes and you are placed in a white context or in a more powerful context in a more upper class elite context i think the the, the probability is that you will lose that kind of privilege and you you will not be able to navigate that situation so i think it's very very important besides what she's pointed out about you know community support i think it's very important to have stringent systems where you know not just citations but copyright and you know all these systems that operate watermarking work all these things should be there technical procedural requirements should be met of every academic work so that nobody mansplains you your work <laughs> nobody just come out and say you know this is what i read and you know later on there there, there was this meme that was shared and it it became very popular that there's there's this person who is telling a women academic to read a certain work and that work was written by that women academic only so yeah. <laughs> you know so th- these are these are the things that often happen in conferences and uh, the idea is to have technical and procedural uh, stringent tra- technical and procedural norms so that the works can be protected Yeah, to hear both of you gives a lot of motivation. Now I'm like, okay, we should really stand up for our rights. <laughs> Absolutely. Sigeline, would you like to say a few words to close this uh, conversation, please? Yeah, I would like to thank you all as well because it was a great talk. It was very inspiring and as we've seen, I guess like there are really a lot of factors that we need to consider. There are lots of changes to be done and not only like on a small scale but like really like on a global scale i guess that's also what globalization is about and maybe that's also how we could also bring changes on a bigger scale so thank you to all of you it was really great to have you for this talk thank you thank you sashi as well thank you manisha thank you emanela thank you for listening in for this episode we would like to thank our guests the french embassy the French Institute and the Alliance France's network in India for producing the show. Our special thanks to Hemant Sarang and his team for their advice and technical support. Please do subscribe and review the show available on various podcasting platforms and on the website afindia.org/podcast. Listen in to the voices that are often invisible but powerful enough to clear the haze.